by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Jesus said in John 4, 34, he said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Jesus is saying, what really makes me full on the inside, what makes me alive, what, what allows me to endure the things I have to endure, and he endured a lot more than any of us will probably ever have to. All the controversy, all the, the people trying to get him off course and get him mad and run him out of town and throw him off the cliff, all the things that he endured. He says, my belly's full. I am nourished. I got a meat that you know not of, and it's to finish God's work. And God's work in his life had come alive to Jesus. He knew why he was here, and he's given us a clue. That's the way your life is supposed to be led. It's not to finish your work to build some grand Memorial to yourself down here that you can't take with you when you leave. It's to do God's work. To have an eternal home in heaven. And, and saving up crowns to cast at his feet when you get there. That's what's going to make you full. That's what's going to give nourishment to your bodies. Some of us are thinking, man, is this all there is to life? I don't know what to do. I tried everything. Well, how about we try God's will? Finishing God's work. I'm telling you, that's what will get you moving, get you motivated. There was a young man, graduated high school, and his first job was working on a road crew. Had a mean old boss, and his boss come out there and gave him a big old paint bucket and a brush. Paint these lines down this road, boy, and I'll come get you when you're through. Later that afternoon, he went, and the boy had painted eight miles of lines down the road. He said, pretty good, boy. Get in the truck, I'll take you back home. Next day, next afternoon, he came out there. The boy had only done four miles. Boy, you're slacking up on me. You better pick it up. The third day, the boy hadn't gone but like 25 feet. He said, that's it, boy. You're fired. I don't know what you've been doing all day. He looked at the boss. He said, boss, but it's such a long way back to the paint can every time. I know that's probably the stalest joke ever told to start a service. And I probably didn't even tell it good. But the point is, is you can't just throw somebody into a job and not give them any instructions. We can talk about getting the road painted for Jesus all day long. But you got to have a plan. You got to let people know what their part is. You got to give them some instructions. Hey, you might want to carry the paint bucket with you as you go. Because you'll be surprised how many people are going, they're spending their life going back to the paint bucket. Now, last week, 10 women were saved in the jail last week. I just got, no, nobody told me. Woo! <laughs> Excuse me, hold my mule while I praise the Lord. You ever heard that joke? <laughs> I ain't got time to go into it. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Ten women gave their heart to Jesus, not just that one guy. I didn't hear about that. Y'all got to keep me informed, you know. I might need to know. All right, so last week we started an important series entitled No Greater Joy. You didn't even know what the name of it was. But we talked about Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Come and in following me, I will make you. See, he's not just sending you out there with a paint bucket and saying, you do it yourself. Jesus wants to make you. 
into fishers of men. And he isn't into catch and release like a lot of churches today. We just want to make the converts. We want to put the notch on our belt and say we led those ten to the Lord. But are we telling them there's a place that they can come and grow and, and, and we can begin to keep the fish that we catch? Because it's not just that we want to have a bigger church, but it's that we want to have an opportunity for those fish to be cleaned. And those fish to find their freedom and find their purpose. And then they begin to make a difference. And that's what we talked about. He's after disciples. The Great Commission tells us to go into all the world and make disciples. Ford makes cars. The church makes disciples. That's what we should be after. That's what Jesus is after. And Jesus, we study his life and we see some important things about how to make disciples. You know, Jesus became a human before he, he was God as a spirit, you know, and he could be everywhere. But he became a human and he limited himself to one place at one time. And so he came down here fully man and fully God and he fully intended to show us as fully human how to operate. And since he couldn't just be everywhere all at once, what did he do to begin this movement that we call Christianity? To begin this world-changing, uh, most awesome thing called the church. What did he begin, how did he do it? He immediately, well, he preached, yeah, but he began to replicate his heart in those who followed him. He said, I can't be everywhere at once, but I can put my heart in them to be at different places, and we can spread out. And that's how we're going to get this thing done. I'm going to replicate my heart in other people one at a time, even if it seems slow going at first. That might not be the way we want to do it. We might want to, uh, you know, do something to gather a big crowd and then preach to them all at once and say, yeah, we did it. But then... Is that did they leave with the heart just after one message? And can can you really do it that way? Well, Jesus, he he invested his time, more time in the twelve than he did in the multitudes. So that should teach us something. He preached to the multitudes, but he taught the disciples until they got it. He showed them, take your paint bucket with you. Take some water with you, you know. He, he was showing them how to be more effective street painters. He demonstrated. He painted the street. And that's what good leaders do. They're just not sending people off to do what they told them to do. They're out there leading the way. He demonstrated, but at some point, and this is what the church is not good at, is he released the people to do. It's almost like in the church today, so many people feel like, well, I'm not qualified. I can't do it. You are qualified. If you're following Jesus, that qualifies you. And we have to learn to release people, even if they make mistakes, that just gives us something to work with and something to learn from. The leaders are making mistakes. Why can't the people, the followers make mistakes too? Yeah, you learn from your mistakes. That's part of the, the, the success of, of anything that you do, is lear learning from your mistakes. That's just part of the process. So in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out the 72. Apparently he had, he had worked up to at least 72 that were listening good enough that he could send them out. And he sent them out two by two in the neighboring towns. And he told them how to go, what to take with them, where to stay, how to do it. He gave them instructions. He, he had been demonstrating it. He had been teaching it. Now he sent them out. He released them into the community to go and do the work of the ministry. Remember, the pastors, preachers, teachers, evangelists, and apostles are gifts to the body of Christ to teach the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry, not just to do the work of the ministry. So Jesus released the people, and they went out two by two. And when they came back, they were so excited to Jesus. We cast out devils. Jesus, we laid hands on the sick, and they shall recover. 
Look at your hands. In your wildest imagination, do you see these hands as hands that will lace hands on the sick and they shall recover? No, no, that's only for the pastor. He's got to have that oil. Mark 16 says, These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Do you believe? Then you qualify. In fact, it's in the believing that God is looking for, just the people who will believe him and lay hands on somebody. We are called to do the work of the ministry, all of us. And they were so excited, and they came back, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And guess what Jesus said? Well, that's pretty good. Now, now everybody's going to go to y'all, and nobody's coming back to me. No. In Luke 10, 21... It says, at that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This pleased Jesus tremendously. And when you go and when you step out in faith and you pray for somebody or you tell somebody, your co-workers, about the gospel or whatever you do, just give a smile sometime and be an improvement for some of us. Whatever your step you're taking, like Kaylee said, whether or Bill, in the worship or in the giving, or when you're taking steps forward and you're painting another line, Jesus is filled with the joy of the Holy Ghost. You said, I don't know how to please God. Get moving and do the next thing that you know to do. And he will lead you from there. He can't steer a parked car. But if you get those wheels rolling, he will begin to steer your life. He was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think they're wise and clever. Well, I thought wise and clever was a good thing. We want to be wise and clever. But no, he's talking about the people who just think that being wise and clever is enough. Those who come to church just to heap upon themselves knowledge. But don't go. They think coming on Sundays is doing God a favor. And that's the predominant thinking in the American church today. We're doing God a favor by coming on Sundays. And these people get puffed up with knowledge. He said, thank you for hiding it from these people. And for revealing it to the childlike. Who are the child like? You tell me to go, I'll go. I ain't got to figure it out. I ain't got to reason it out. I ain't got to see what so-and-so says about it. So if God says it, that settles it, I'll go. Yes, it pleased the Father. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. See, the joy is in the going, not the knowing. The simple doers. Doers of the word. In Luke 10, 23, it says when they were alone after this, Jesus got his disciples, and that's the way he did. When the multitudes would leave, he'd gather in the crowd. They'd have a little huddle. He turned to the disciples and he said, Blessed are the eyes that have seen what you have seen. What had they had just seen? They had seen and participated in, in the discipling process until it produced fruit. They had seen, they had been around that circle back there that I keep pointing to. Not only did they know Jesus, and they had found freedom from their past bondages, but they had discovered they had purpose, and now they had put some feet behind it. And they had went and told somebody else and brought them to Jesus and started the circle again in somebody else's life. And blessed are the eyes who have seen that, that understand that that is the nourishment that is going to make your life what you want it to be. So many people, so disgruntled, so tired of life, despairing, is there any, what's the use? And you have no idea that your life could be so much more abundant. He came to give you life and life abundantly. But the devil has come and he has stolen your hope and your dreams. And he's dashed them and he's 
coming to kill and steal, take from you and destroy everything that you thought was good. But we've got to get our eyes on Jesus and be doers of the word. God did not call the church to be spectators, but participators. I know this is radical, and I know some people don't like to hear when a preacher tells them the truth. I know a lot of people just want to go to a spectator church where they're not challenged to do more. Just tell me, that, and I'm going to be blessed. Tell me how I can, you know, get more knowledge, and I can do things my way, and, and God can bless my mess. But I'm here to tell you the truth. God's not here to bless your mess. He will bless you in your mess, but that's if you repent and want to get out of your mess. And I'm trying to tell you the secret to what your life is. Your life is hid with God in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 3, I, I've been preaching that on Wednesday nights if you come. It's been awesome. Your life is hid with God in Christ Jesus. That fulfillment that you're seeking, it's there for you the whole time. i got to stop preaching or I'll never get through this. We as a church, we've got to build a community. We've got to work together. And we've got to provide practical avenues for people at all levels of their spiritual maturity to take the next step in their spiritual growth. See, movement equals growth. You can have 5,000 people in your church and Jesus say, ho-hum, you got 5,000 spectators. But you can have five people meeting in a home somewhere that's going out and doing the work of the ministry and Jesus is excited and filled with the joy of the Holy Ghost. That's what gets Jesus' attention. But I'm here to tell you, you cannot disciple someone who just wants to play church. I can tell you this all day long, and we can provide all the programs all day long. But if you just want to play church, it ain't going to do you any good. And you might as well go to one of those big spectator churches. You might as well. Because you're just going to get mad here. <laughs> Some of you mad at me right now. <laughs> Does he never stop? <laughs> Well, do you ever get it? <laughs> I don't mean to say it like that. I, there, I see. I see so much. And, and the more I see in you, the more growth I see in so many people, my, my heart wells over. And that's why I get so excited about telling everybody else to get it. Because my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. And I can't help myself. I'm a Jesus junkie. James 1.22 says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Could it be possible that you've been fooling yourself? For if you listen to the word and you don't obey... It's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. You come to Sunday service, great. You've done God a huge favor. You've acquired some knowledge. But by the time you get to the, to the buffet, you've forgotten what you look like. And it ain't made a hill of beans in your life. If that's all you're going to do is come and obtain some knowledge on Sunday, you're just wasting a chair for somebody else who could grow and actually do the Word of God. Not that we don't want you to stay here until you slip into the river, but we're encouraging you strongly to slip into the river and understand that your nourishment comes from God, from your, your purpose in Christ. If the Sunday service alone was enough, the American church would have won the world by now. We'd be sitting up in heaven enjoying our rewards. Because we've had more Sunday sermons, we've got bigger buildings, we've preached more messages than any time in all of the history of humankind. And still, people, there's no difference between the average Christian and the world. 
Oh, we got knowledge. Sometimes I wonder, we got too much knowledge. People are so puffed up. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 talks about people who are puffed up with knowledge. They, they run from conference to conference to get more knowledge. Then they want to sit and philosophize all day long. I don't even know if that's a word. It's close, you know. <laughs> Clearly, I don't have a lot of knowledge, so I'm preaching against it. No. No, but, but it, knowledge is good. Nothing wrong with knowledge, but when you just, you have knowledge and no doing, knowledge, no application, and in the verse it says knowledge and no love with it, then you'll begin to pick each other apart. You'll begin to devour each other. You will begin to separate in the camps. And that's why you have so much division in the church today. Not just in the individual churches, but in the denominations and all these. And they're arguing about knowledge. They want to fight and kill each other over secondary and tertiary issues that have nothing to do with give, getting the gospel out. Lord, help us, Jesus. I have to try not to preach it. <laughs> no, no, I might say some things I'd regret. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. We said this last week. You, Paul said, you've heard me teach many things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. That's how we got to do it. We got to replicate our heart in someone else who's going to replicate their heart in someone else who's going to pass it along. We got to teach each other to pass it along. From one person to the next person. You want America to come back to, to be the America that, that we think we want with morals and all the things that based on godly principles and all that thing? Well, well it's not going to be a politician that does it. It's going to be the Christians who get back to doing one at a time, replicating hearts, changing hearts one at a time around this nation until all of a sudden, look what the Lord has done. We must be serious and intentional about our church's direction. And I'm talking about the Passion Church now. Every church should be serious and intentional. Do you remember that word intentional? Two years ago, that was our word for the whole year God gave us. We must be serious and intentional about our church's direction. We ain't got time to play games, all right? Every church has processes and methodologies behind what they do. A process is a series of actions that when you reproduce these series of actions, they produce a desired result. Like when you put the toothpaste on the toothbrush and you do it a certain way you get a white smile right you get rid of that breath reminds me <laughs> a methodology is the thinking behind why you do what you do so you got to have an understanding of why you're doing it. you're just not throwing things out there why do you do you have a methodology and you have a process that achieves the desired results. And a church needs to be intentional and serious about their direction. So we have a desired result. What is our desired result according to last week's message? To produce disciples. Because why? Not because we think that's what we're supposed to do. Because that's the great commission. That's what God has given us. To go in all the world and make disciples. So if that is our desired result, what are our processes? We have to adjust the things that we do, the things that we repeat every week, and the thinking behind what we do to achieve our desired result. If we don't, we're being haphazard, and we're just hoping. And we're not following really following God's instructions. If Jesus wants disciples then disciples we will make. And if we're not, I mean, he's showing us what he wants us to do. If we're not doing it, it's on us. We have to be deliberate, intentional about how we do church and the processes and the methodology behind what we do. Well, I don't even care what the church does. 
What's that got to do with my life? Teach me something, Pastor, that'll help me. Well, I'm trying to tell you that your calling in life is tied to the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's what Jesus is doing on the earth. You can't just dismiss the bride of Christ like, like I hate the church and all the people in it. I just love Jesus. That'd be like you saying, I love you, Pastor, but I hate your wife. Well, man, you got a problem. See, the church is Jesus' potter's wheel. You the, he's the potter, we're the clay. We're supposed to stay on the wheel because that's where he's got his hands. He will build his church. He is building you. Here, the church is your guardrails. It keeps your life on track, out of the ditch. Bible reading, praying, those things that you learned in Sunday school are what keeps you and keeps God's hand in your life to keep you on track and keep you building into the things that he wants you to do. And your proper spiritual growth is dependent on you staying put. And you submitting to the process. And those people who say, I don't like the church. I watch it on TV, you know. Well, you can do that, but did Jesus really call us to be lone rangers out there watching church on TV? Or did he call us into a relationship with a body? And you make you a part of the body and, and give you functions in the body and responsibility in the body. And to be a part of something bigger than just yourself. That's squirrely thinking. And when you grow in the church, you grow in every area of your life. I didn't understand this when I first became a Christian. I, I had all these grand ideas about what I wanted to do, and God just had to humble me over a series of years and say, look, you're not going to do all this without the church. I'm doing the church. If you want to be involved in my things, you're going to have to be involved in the church. And so I, I began to shift my understanding of what the church was all about, and I got hooked up with my fellow brothers and sisters and said, let's do it your way, God. And it began to change my relationships. I began to have some, you know. <laughs> I got some peace and joy. And the church, you, you, you come and, and your brothers and sisters lay hands on you. You get healed. They pray for you. They, they talk you through your situations. Come on, talk me down, man. You know, you get all hyped up. And, and you have people here. They help with your finances. Ain't that right? And you raise your kids here. Don't we deserve, at least deserve to give your kids a chance? And when you, when you raise your kids to know Jesus, and you set an example for them by the way you live, and your faithfulness sets an example for them to be faithful in their church. I th you go talk to Brother Van and hear about him talk about his parents and how they raised him. And you see why Van is, is so faithful in everything he does. Break generational curses. I don't care what happened in the past, but you can break those things, those cycles in your life. God can change your family. And from then on, generations have a chance because you were faithful and you stayed on the potter's wheel and you allowed God into your life. Disciples are not mass-produced in a classroom setting. They say lecturing is probably the least effective method of learning. So you'll remember a little bit about what I said here today. And then you'll leave and forget it all. <laughs> Discipleship requires relationship. Ain't no way around it. Ain't no way around it. I cannot, from up here, disciple everybody. Some of you say, I, I like you, Pastor. I, I want, you help me. Okay, that's God giving you uh, a pastor to try to help you, but I can't disciple you and everybody else. I'm a, I have a few that God has put on my heart to help to disciple. That's, 
I, I'm one person, you understand? Jesus was one person. He could replicate his heart in a few. He could preach to the multitudes. But discipleship requires relationship, and you have to find relationships within the church. And everything Jesus does is about relationships. He puts you in a family in the first place, right? And then he's created a body of Christ with all these brothers and sisters. Now, I know Kaylee says turn on them lights and hug a neck, but hugging a neck on Sunday ain't going to make you a disciple. Two or three minutes of saying hello to people you won't see again until next Sunday is not going to make you a disciple. And it's not going to make us a church any different than any of these other American churches that are just spectators. We have to change our processes and our methodology if we want the desired result of disciples. Some of y'all getting nervous. Oh, he might be start talking about some kind of change. I am. Aren't you tired of not having any nourishment? Aren't you tired of walking all the way back to that paint bucket for no reason? How do people best learn? Let's talk about that. Let's think about the desired results and let's, let's pray this out together. How do people best learn? Erica, you want to learn how to play guitar? She said yes. Okay, Erica. When you get you a guitar, first thing you have to do is tune it. That top big heavy string is, is the number six string. It's the E string. Tune it up with that peg thing down at the end, making an E. Then I want you to take your finger and press down in between the things called frets on the fifth fret. Hit that note and then hit the one below it, the fifth string. And I want you to tune it up so it sounds just like the top one. And then when, when you finish that one, I want you to go to the fifth fret on the fifth string and press it down and then hit the fourth string and tune it so it sounds just like the fifth string. Are you getting all this? Are, are you sure that you could tune a guitar by the time we leave here? You'll just... Okay, see, that's, that's an example of lecturing from a pulpit. It's giving you knowledge, but it's not knowledge that you can use. You're still going back to the paint bucket. But if I got that breed love guitar... And then Kaylee's breed love guitar, I got it, and I set it down, and I sat down with you, and I said, see, this is the top string, and I showed you. I said, see, press it right here. Use this finger and just press it. She could leave there knowing how to tune a guitar because it takes what? Hands-on. It takes relationship. It takes one-on-one -on -one time. And that's how disciples are made. It takes individualized attention. You need knowledge, yes. There's nothing wrong with our preaching. We're not going to stop preaching. We're going to keep doing that. But we got to provide application for the knowledge. When you leave here, we got to, as a church, it'll be your fault if you don't put it into action because we've provided avenues, right, for you to put things into action. Did you raise your kids in a classroom setting? Did you say, kids, get up for school, Y'all meet in the living room and you're behind the pulpit. You give some, some knowledge to them and say, go forth. First of all, your kids are at all different ages. And you're speaking over one of them's head, not, you know, too young to the other one. There's different spiritual maturities. One size doesn't fit all. One of your children is just quiet and unassuming. The other is off the chart, you know, crazy, right? One of them's hard to deal with, one of them sleeps all day, one of them, you know, gets up early. They're all different. And so what you had to do when you raised your children, you had to begin to have a relationship to know how to speak into their life. And then every time they'd mess up or any time they'd do good, you'd use that opportunity to, to teach them the truth in that situation. And you raised them and you taught them as individuals, not in a classroom setting. And that was how it worked better. And that's how we must raise God's children. How did the early church do it? The early church started with what? Those 120 disciples on the day of Pentecost. And by the end of the day, they had 5,000. Then after that, they began to grow exponentially. How did the early church do it? Well, in Acts 2, verses 46, 
verse 46, it says, so continuing daily, there's the key right there, daily, not just once a week, but their, Christian, their Christianity was a daily event. They didn't just seek God on Sundays. So continuing daily with one accord, meaning they, not that they all believed exactly the same and they, they had no arguments about anything, but they all understood that the, the, the nourishment was going to come from doing God's will. They were released together in the main things. Continuing daily with one in, in one accord in the temple, come, meeting together, coming in the, the temples like a church today, Say, and, in the temple, and, and is a conjunction. It means that something after this is added to what you've already said. The temple, and, see, we've stopped at the temple. But the early church said, and, breaking bread from house to house. Huh? Well, hold on. Breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Sounds like childlike faith that made Jesus so happy. They just simply hung out and, and ate bread together. And they, they were in one accord about wanting to do God's will. In Acts 5.42, it says, And daily in the temple, and, say, and... In every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. In the temple and in the house, they preached Jesus. They had the focus of Jesus. That's how they, they stayed focused. They kept each other focused. And in Acts 2.42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship the apostles doctrine is what the the preachers were saying so you're coming and hearing what the the apostle the preachers saying in the doctrine of the word of god and breaking of bread and fellowship and prayers so they would get together not just on sunday but they did life together in each other's homes they broke bread they fellowship they prayed together. They talked about Jesus. They stirred one another up. They discipled each other. And a church needs a healthy balance. We've lost our balance. What kind of church are we? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's our culture. But what are, what are our processes, methodologies? What are, what are the things that we're after? You know, you got an educational model of a church. Where that's what we've been talking about mostly, where one man gets up behind the pulpit and he exercises his gift, everybody goes away, they got a little knowledge, but they don't apply it. And they expect the pastor to, to invite everybody to church, they expect the pastor to go to the, all the hospitals to visit the sick, they expect the pastor to be there when you call at 2 in the morning about this or that, and everything that happens, and the pastor gets completely worn out, and nobody else is exercising any gifts, and nobody else is growing in the spirit. Now, that, that's a you know, worst-case scenario. But if your church is just based solely on educational model where you're just trying to present knowledge, then they expect the pastor to do everything. Then you got the attractional churches, which have the lights and the smoke and the, the loud music and the, and the preaching that's just going to tickle your ears just enough to maybe get you saved. You know, They may even talk about Jesus, but they're not getting into practical areas. They're not... Uh, helping you grow, and, and, and uh, they're just trying to attract a crowd. Well, they can make converts, but soon the people get worn out with the show. Well, I seen that last week, you know. And you, you're continually trying to, to do something that's going to uh, amaze the folks to get them to come back Sunday. This ain't a show. We're not up here to put on a show. We're up here to worship God. And, 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 you know, some people don't feel like they've had church unless five people jump up and run around the church and somebody runs the pews, you know. And that's, that's, that's not what it's about. Okay, 
And then you have the missional church. Now, if when I was a new Christian, I would have chose to be a missional church. That means you're going into the neighborhoods. You're telling people. I couldn't help but tell people. You know, you're doing this. You're feeding the homeless. You're doing all these things. But you, if your church is solely based on that, then you're going to burn out. If you're not getting, if you're not growing, then you don't have anything to give eventually. So there has to be a balance. And then some people say, well, I'm just going to have a church in my home. I'm going to alleviate all the headaches of a, having a church building and all that. We're just going to meet in the house. You know, that's, that's going house to house without the temple. And they just meet in the home. And they may start out good, and they may be doing uh, some good things. But most of the time, they, they're not very missional. They don't think about others. And then they get kind of clickish and Somebody comes and wants to sit in with one of their meetings, and they don't particularly like them. They're like, well, let's, let's not get him to come here, you know. They're pushing people away. They want to keep it small, you know. I understand the reasoning behind these different kind of churches. But we have to think outside the box of what everybody else is doing, and we have to do what God wants us to do, right? we got to have balance. we got to become the best and most biblical we can be. And for five years, the Lord's been showing us these things. We teach from the pulpit. Nothing unusual about that. We pray. Always will be a praying church. We will always be a praying church. We provide opportunities for people to exercise their gifts, to go out two by two, to go to the nursing homes and to the malls and to the knocking on doors and sidewalk stories. We provide opportunities for outreach. We're basically concerned about every step in the disciple-making process. We want to provide the next step or the next level at whatever step or whatever level any person may be at. For example, today at 1.30, I slide this pulpit over to here, and, and we come and we have what we call our next step. Today will be week two. We'll be talking about your spiritual gifting so you'll know how to put it in action. And there's always a next step. If, if you're coming to this church, if you've been here 20 years, you ain't been to the next step, then it's still the next step for you. It doesn't just for new people. Some, some people are, 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 there's voices going around and arguing about things about the church that they don't like or whatever. If they would just come to the next step, they would understand why we do what we do. Because we're explaining these things. They hadn't been to the step. So come to the next step. And so we're trying to provide these things, provide act, activities. We, we call our uh, Wednesday 7 o'clock service the next level Wednesday because it's to take you to a new level, get you outside of Sunday-only thinking, right? And to, to be more daily in your thinking about Jesus. We're doing our temple part, but we hadn't been so good at the house-to-house -house part. Does it seem like I'm going somewhere with this? I've been, the last six weeks, training with small group leaders. We had two weeks of lecturing and teaching these, pro these processes and these ideas and convincing them that they're biblical and this is what God wants us to do. And then we spent the last four weeks actually hands-on having small groups on Thursday nights. And I tell you what, just even after the first one, I said, this is right. This is right. I knew it was right because I prayed for two and a half years before uh, taking this step about it. And I feel completely right about it. But, I, but when we had that first group meeting, it lasted an hour. We met in a home, and uh, we fellowshiped, we talked, we laughed, people shared, uh, we, we talked to Scripture, we all got a chance to pray together, and we ended on time, and then we dispersed, and then everybody wanted to stay together. So we all met at what you call uh, the dip in Hernando, and, hang, and we hung out like teenagers. We pulled our trucks up and let the tailgates down and sat there like the cool kids. We got ice cream. We got cheese bites. We got hamburgers. Come on. This is the best preaching I've done all day. 
People get excited more about food. I don't know. But I'm telling you, I thought to myself by the time I went home, I've had some church. I'm getting a little understanding about how relationships within the church are supposed to work. That was fun. Church ain't supposed to be a drudgery. That was all right. And so the big reveal I'm giving to you today, and I'm glad you showed up for it, is that coming in September, we will start doing small groups. We will start doing small groups in, in September. We're going to call them life groups, maybe even next step life groups or something like that, next level life groups. But we're going to, we're going to have, we were training up about to have six or eight groups. That's a pretty good start for a church our size. You'll be able to pick the group that you want to go to, and you'll be able, it'll be a weekly thing, one hour a week, and you'll get to go. I'm going to tell you more details. I don't want to uh, ruin all the things I've taught you so far today, get you thinking too far ahead on this. I will, I will give you more details next Sunday. That'll be a, a teaser to get you here next Sunday, right? But what I want you to do, I don't want you to go supposing this sucks, this is ain't going to work. I don't want you to talk negative. I don't want you to go talking to your friends. I'm not going. I don't want you to... to to think, I, I like doing the way we used to do it and, and all these things. I'm asking you, as somebody who loves you and prays for you, I'm asking you to trust me and trust the plan of God in this. And let's, let's wait till we hear the details before we run it down, okay? Remember the, our big brothers and big sisters pledge not long ago? Let's try to be mature about this. I know some people do not like change, and everybody's saying there's going to be some people that don't like it. They're, they're, they're. Give it a chance. Give it a chance. If it's not God, we'll find out quick enough. But if it is God, and we're taking a step to becoming a church and house-to-house -house congregation, who's actually making disciples and actually creating relationship opportunities and opportunities for you to put your giftings into action and for people to be well-nourished. Stop going way back to the paint can, but getting something done for Jesus. And so be it. So be it. Please. I'm asking you to be mature brothers and sisters until you've heard the whole plan, then you can run it down. No, just, just kidding. Don't, please. Please, it's hard enough. I prayed this out for two and a half years. This is not something I rushed into. Have you heard me up here making huge decisions, just fly by night? Is, have you seen a pattern of me introducing things that just was stupid? Uh, don't, don't name out the things. <laughs> Why is it, why is it, what, what does that mean over there? <laughs> There's so much life to be lived between the Sundays. So much life to be lived between Sunday and Sunday. And we're going to take full advantage of it. Oh, my. I just wanted to mention, and then we'll close. Jesus loved to meet in people's houses. There's a story where Jesus went to Simon the leper's house. Would you go to a leper's house? Aren't they supposed to be quarantined? Well, I suppose that means that Jesus must have healed Simon the leper before he went there and brought his disciples there. In, in another place telling the same story, it calls Simon a Pharisee. So not only was he a leper, he was a Pharisee, and those were the people giving Jesus all the problems. Now, if Jesus will go to the house of a Pharisee who has recently had leprosy and go into his house, he must really like going to people's houses. He must really like investing in people 
and his disciples and being with them. Didn't he go to Peter's house? Didn't he go to Matthew, the tax collector's house? They said he eats with sinners and he does all these things. Didn't he go to Zacchaeus' house? Jesus liked to go to people's houses. I think it's going to be a beautiful thing for our church. Big Joe, is it going to be beautiful? Big Joe just led the last small group at his house. And the, actually the first small group of our church to be at somebody's house besides mine. And it was awesome, Big Joe. You and Megan were awesome. But it wasn't, Big Joe will tell you it wasn't about him. It was just about facilitating a conversation where, where everybody got to give their input. Nobody felt left out. Nobody's ideas were stupid. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be real. And in that kind of environment, you're going to make friends that you trust and you're going to be able to uh, share your information and your situation with people. And you're really going to grow. And you're going to have fun at the dip or wherever you want to go afterwards. You're going to make real friends. You know what? We need some real friends. We don't need more Facebook friends. We need real friends for this journey. Romans 8.29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. That's discipleship. That's what, the, what a disciple is, somebody becoming like Jesus. So that, that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, God wants you to have many brothers and sisters. And they're available, but the church needs to facilitate you understanding that. And you have an opportunity to, to get to know them. <laughs>